0: Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs Weekly Podcast. Every week, we'll provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday service. Now, here's this week's episode with our lead pastor, Corey Engel. Today, uh, we're going to tackle a a question that actually was uh, a question that came in a few uh, weeks ago when we talked about the Garden of Eden. And uh, someone had asked me a question about the fruit of of the guard of the the tree of good and evil what exactly was that I ended up doing a podcast we, we have this little podcast where we're kind of going a little bit deeper uh, in it called the pcs one more thing and if uh, some of you guys have been following along and uh, tracking with those but the uh, I, I tackled that um, that topic or that question in the podcast and I really felt like today God wanted me to maybe go a little deeper in that arena. Because it uh, it's a pretty significant uh, understanding in order for us to fully contextualize the Bible. Now, uh, earlier this week, I was online and I was I came across a puzzle that was for sale, and I took a little screenshot of it and I put it. We just put it up there. This is the puzzle. White hell is what it was called. (laughs) It's a thousand piece puzzle and it's all white. It's just completely white. Now, I, I just want you to imagine trying to find a piece of the puzzle and making it fit with all of the other pieces when you have no context other than this is just all white. Right, there's nothing to give you any kind of context. Now, on the other hand, some of you, how many of you guys are puzzle people here? You're like, I love puzzles, right? Now, this is I grabbed this from uh, my house. This is uh, and actually, I put the you can't probably see it very well online, but I put the picture up here. Uh, so this is this is actually what the the puzzle is of. It's a, a you know beautiful white-tailed deer here and. Uh, Now, if you have this picture in mind, as you pull out a piece, what can you do? You can take that piece and evaluate what it it actually is on the piece, you know, the colors and the designs and maybe different, you know, clues to tell you how it fits in the larger picture, right? So, having a clear picture of what the puzzle is about is important in order to help you figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. Make sense? Now, the Bible is a giant puzzle. It really is. If you read it, and if you've read it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. There are all these different stories There's different, you know, teachings, and they're all in, you know, different arenas. Some are about love, and some are about judgment. Some are about grace. Some are about mercy. Some are about forgiveness. Some are, you know, some are about history. Some are about the law, right? And they're all in the Bible. They're all in the picture somewhere. If we don't have a clear picture of the the large tapestry, the, the beautiful picture that God is painting through humanity. will have a hard time understanding how all of the stories and the little pieces of the Bible kind of fit together. So part of this series, the effort behind it has been to give you a, a, a bit more clear picture of the larger narrative of the Bible, and that that narrative is that there is a battle. And it's not just raging in our four-dimensional world. It's also raging where? In a supernatural realm. Now, in your notes, I kind of threw out a a quick little synopsis of the the previous weeks. Okay? We're not going to go through that. um, If you've missed weeks along the way, I'd encourage you to go back. You can watch them online. There's a podcast where they're... they're, uh, you can just listen to it. Uh, I would. The notes are available before you leave. If you want the notes from those weeks, they're available out in the, in the common area. But all of this is to kind of give you this more clear picture of what God ultimately is doing. And when we can see that picture more clearly, we'll understand then how all of these various pieces fit together. So today we're going to jump into this question, what was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, if you don't know the story, Adam and Eve were created. They were placed in the garden of God, right? Uh, The garden of Eden. And there was a tree in that. uh, There was the tree of life, and there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God tells Adam To not eat of it. Basically, he gives instruction to mankind: do not eat of this tree. In Genesis chapter three, then we have this uh, the uh, kind of the introduction of the serpent, and the serpent begins to tell Eve, "Look, if if you eat of this tree, it will ultimately make you like God, and you'll know, you'll have knowledge of good and evil." And he suggests that God is holding back from you. He's, he's keeping you from the thing that will ultimately be the best for you. He deceives her and, uh, and Adam, and they uh, take of the fruit, and they eat. So the big question is, well, what is the fruit? Is it just like, you know, was there something poisonous about it, right? You know, it, you realize that the, the idea of the poisoned apple is connected to this, uh, this uh, a story here in Genesis, I don't think personally that there was anything wrong with the fruit. I think it, you know, Eve says it looks good. It's good to eat. It's, you'd be delicious, right? That, you know, that the ideas of what she was actually responding to talks about like, this is good stuff. I don't think there was any kind of virus or poison that when she touched it or, or they ate of it suddenly, now they were contaminated, it's deeper than this. It's deeper than that. So let's talk about fruit for a moment, because throughout the Bible, it talks about fruit. When I lived across the street, I used to live just right across the street from the church, we had an apple tree in our backyard. And every year, almost every year, it would then, during the, during the summer, it would produce Apples. How weird would it be if I went out there one day and it had a bunch of oranges on it? Right? Now, we know that's never going to happen. Why? Because it's not an orange tree. Fruit reveals the nature of the tree. When the Bible talks about fruit, it's actually talking about something that is revealing and inner nature, fruitfulness flows out of who we genuinely are, not what we want to be, not what we hope to be, but what we genuinely are, okay? So are are we, we tracking here? So if we are evil and wicked in heart, are we going to bear good, holy, righteous fruit, no, we can't. That's the problem. okay? So we will, we will be known by our fruit, right? It's fruit that reveals our nature. Notice what John, Jesus says in John 15 verse eight. Now this whole, this whole little teaching that Jesus has in John 15 is about fruitfulness. but in John 158, Jesus says this. If you put that up there, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and, key words here, so prove to be my disciple. Notice the word there, prove. What does that mean? It means to validate a reality. So, my, <laughs> my daughter was talking to me about something. And she's like, uh, I did this. Oh no. She was telling me about her volleyball. And she said, I totally spiked it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I don't believe you. And she's like, no, 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 dad. I did. I was like, I don't believe you. And I'm just, I was just joking with her, but really what, what do I want her to do? Validate, prove it to me. Right. I want to see it. I don't, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want it just to be words. I want a validation. This is what Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, because what does the fruit do? It validates the very thing you are claiming to be. It validates a reality about your inner nature. It is not an accident that it is fruit from a tree that ultimately is a uh, the very thing that tempts Adam and Eve. Now let's talk about the nature of the tree, okay? Because this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word knowledge here just simply means to know, to understand, or to perceive. okay? So this just gives you context. This is not just a, and this is not, this is what God calls the tree, right? This is not a deception. This is what the tree is. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This means to understand it, to know it, to perceive it. There is an underlying thought here that it is to understand it or perceive it because through kind of experience through an experience, like we know what this is because there's an experience here I know I know how to describe golf to you because I've played golf, but some of you have never played golf, and you you know I remember I was coaching golf one time, and with my students, I said, "How many of you guys have ever played golf before, and nobody raised their hand, so all of a sudden now they have no perception. They have no understanding of golf per se, you know, just maybe a few things of what they've seen. So I had to start from the very beginning, you know, here's the, here's a pitching wedge. This is what you use it for, right? Let's practice with this. Here's how you swing. Then once they begin to have the experience, they begin to know, understand, and perceive golf. Make sense? Okay. Second word. Knowledge of what? good. This is the Hebrew word taub. Okay. Now there's a typo in your notes. So this is, it's not T-A-W-B as, and again, that's not how you would see it in Hebrew either. That's just how you would say it, but it's T-O-W-B, taub. It also can be pronounced tobe, T-O-B-E. Uh, so anyway, this Hebrew word means good. Now, it's very important that we kind of connect this idea with some passages in Genesis chapter one, just a few verses ahead of when God talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where do we hear God declaring something good? We have this happen in Genesis one in the creation. I think six different times, God looks at creation and he declares that it's good. He doesn't, well, he doesn't declare it, but he sees that it is good. So let's take a look at the first place that this happens. This is in Genesis chapter one, verse 10. Okay. In your notes, I listed all the different places. It's in 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and verse 31. So it says, God called the dry ground earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called Seas. And God saw that it was taub. Okay? It was good. Now, what's happening here? I want you to think about this because, again, we I read Genesis 1 every year at about January 1. How many of you guys are with me, right? You start a reading plan, starting Genesis 1. I've read through creation so many times. I often... Fail to stop and think about very simple little things like what is God doing in this moment? Here's what happens God is creating, right? And out of the water, he calls the earth, right? The dry ground and the dry land, he calls earth, and the water is called seas. And he then stops and he looks at it. What is he doing? He's evaluating. He's inspecting the word here that he, where he saw or he looks at it it means to look at, inspect, perceive, or consider. When I was a young kid, I remember getting a new pair of pants. And as I was putting on the new pair of pants, uh, I tried them on. And when I took them back off, there was something stuck to my leg. And guess what it was? It was a little sticker that said, inspected by number seven. How many of you guys remember? They don't have these on, on clothes anymore, but how many of you guys remember? There used to be tags on virtually everything that was like stuck to you. It says inspected by it. What does that mean? It means the jeans were created, but at some point an inspector would stop and they would take those jeans or, or whatever product they're inspecting. They evaluate it. They look at it. They make sure the size and the length are right. They make sure all the seams are are are, are right, right? If there's any flaws or errors, then it's discarded. So when you got that product and it said inspected by, what does it mean? It means that someone evaluated the quality of this and it was considered good. Taub. It's the way it was supposed to be. Make sense? That's our idea of good. Many times is kind of, we kind of just go, oh, that's good or that's bad. Right? We, we don't think about the nature of good. God here is describing the nature of Taub, the, the idea of good. And what is it? That when he creates the dry ground and the earth, he evaluates it, he inspects it, he looks over it, and he goes, this is exactly the way I intended it for it to be. It's right. It's, it's appropriate. It's good. It's good. Okay? We see this again in, uh, at the very end when it talks about the creation of all the animals at day six of creation and mankind. And in verse 31, here's what it says. It says, and God saw everything. God does this inspection over everything that he had made. And behold, it was not just taub, it was Mo'ed Taub, which means exceedingly or abundantly good. This was exactly as God intended it to be. It's right, it's holy. It's pure. It's it's good. Okay? So what do we know about Adam before the fall? he knows good. He has an experience of good because he is in the position and the posture and the place of being right with God. He is as God intended him to be. He has. He's not in rebellion against God. He's in faithfulness. He's in loyalty. He is, he is in a right relationship with God. He is good. So he has a knowledge of good. What does he not have knowledge of? Evil. The second word here is ra. The Hebrew word ra means evil or wicked. If good is defined by what is in alignment with God's will, this, the way God intends it to be, then raw is the opposite of that. Raw sits on the other side. Raw is not in alignment with God's desire. It's contrary to God's created intention. It's not the way that God intends things to be. That's evil. That's wicked. I was sitting with my kids last night, and I asked one of my my kids, I said, if you know that it would be right to help your brother, but you didn't, would that be a sin? Would that be a sin? You know, it would be right to help them. Like, that, that's what God would intend for you to do. But you decided, you know, I was busy. I had other things to do. You didn't help him. Would that be a sin? A lot of times we think of sin as we did the wrong thing. But what if sin also includes not doing what the right thing is? An interesting verse from James chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is... What's the word? it's sin it's raw it's evil it's wicked now doesn't that kind of terrify you just a little bit now like if i've got to worry about all the things that i'm doing wrong but also not doing the things that i need to do that are right this is the context a knowledge of good the way things are the way things that are righteous or holy are in alignment with God's created intention or wicked. Now, where do we get off track here many times? Is that we want to decide what's right and what's wrong. We don't want God to define this for us. We want to define it for ourselves. Boy, we have a culture right now that is running with this. God does not tell us what to do. This is the very nature of the the rebellion at Babel that we talked about last week. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We want to do our intention. And this ultimately is at the heart of what raw is, what wickedness is. It is this self-orientation that says, I want what I want, and I care nothing about what God wants. What I would suggest as we think about the fruit of the tree is that the, the tree is a test to reveal fruitfulness. And I'm going to, I don't have a timer up there, so I have no idea how far we're into this. But we're, I'm going to set this up here so that I, you don't want me finishing at 1030 So I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to try to keep this clock up here. So, so we have about 12 minutes left. Is that right? So the tree was a test to reveal fruitfulness. What did it ultimately reveal in Adam and Eve? It revealed that they were really more concerned about themselves than they were about being faithful to God. It revealed a selfish nature that they gratified and they gave into and they followed rather than denying that sinful nature, rather than denying the rebellious thoughts and ideas. But the tree ultimately revealed a fruitfulness about them and what the consequences or what the fruit was revealed, it just wasn't pretty. It didn't reveal the fruit of Taub, did it? It revealed the fruit of Ra. I want you to take a look at a couple things. Because when we use this word test, like I would suggest the tree in the garden was a test. It was a test for humanity. It's a test for you and me. It's not just something that happened thousands of years ago. It ultimately is still a test. Will you choose to partake of the fruit, give in to your selfish nature to live based on what you think is right and what you want? Or will you deny that, surrender to God, and live according to what is talb, what is right, what is holy? In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, we see God coming to Abraham. So remember, God is now establishing the nation of Israel through Abraham. And so, Abraham has a son, and boy, that's tiny. I don't know why it's so tiny, but you can barely see it. But it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. Do you know what that word tested means? It means to prove, right? Prove it. What God was saying here in this passage was, you say you love me, you say you're in allegiance to me. You say that I am your God. Well, then prove it. Let's see the fruit of your words, of your life. Let's test to see what kind of fruit your life will reveal. What does God ask Abraham to do? Go and sacrifice the son of promise, the one he had waited. I mean, he's 100 years old. more. I mean, he's probably 112 or so in this scenario, but he was 100 when God, you know, blessed him with this child, the promise. He had no other descendants except through, you know, not through the promise. And so in this, this, you know, this idea of this gift from God This is how God is going to answer and fulfill his promises of making me into a great nation. And God has said all of these things to me. He's promised these things to me. And now God has asked me to take my son and go offer him as a sacrifice. You could imagine that Isaac was probably his highest possession, his possession. It was the most important thing in his life. It was the pathway for him to experience the promises and the legacy that God had promised to him. And yet God goes, you say that I'm your God. You say that you are faithful. Well, then prove it. And God tested him. This idea of testing and revealing fruit is all over the scripture. One place that I would suggest is very closely related to the Genesis chapter 3 passage is in Job chapters 1 and 2. What do we know about Job? The story of Job is that, uh, so Job chapter 1 verse 6 talks about, well, the first part of Job, the first five verses are all about just Job is righteous, he's holy, he is, he is devout, he is taub. He is living life in a way that is loyal and allegiant to Yahweh. So, one day, and this is, starts in Job chapter 1, verse 6 and following, the divine council of God is gathering, they're meeting, and Hasatan, the, the Satan, the adversary comes and And God goes, where have you come from? And he's like, I've been roaming the earth, kind of looking for folks. And this, again, Corey's paraphrase here. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? What is God doing here? Like, God brings Job up. It's not like the the Satan or the adversary is is going, hey, this this is the guy I want to go after. God is the one who goes, well, if you're, if you're wanting to test people, then let's see what's really in Job's heart. Let's find out what's really the, the nature of the tree of Job's life. And the, the adversary basically says the only reason he's faithful to you is because you put a hedge of protection around him. You bless everything he does. He doesn't have a choice To follow you or not, right? You've never given him a choice. There's never been a tree of the knowledge of good and evil hanging in front of Job. Right? You put a you put a boundary around him. And so the only thing, the only thing that Job can do is to be faithful to you because you haven't given him a choice. So what does God do? He says, Well, take it all away. Take it all away. And then let's see what's the fruit of Job's life. What do we know about the story of Job? That Job ultimately revealed that he was was faithful to Yahweh no matter what the serpent did to him, no matter what the adversary did to him. Job passed the test. Abraham passed the test. Adam and Eve did not. They failed. Because why? Why? Because instead of saying faithful and loyal to Yahweh, they decided to gratify the desires of their flesh. The tree is a test and is a test to reveal fruitfulness. Now, it's important for us to understand as we go that this is not a test of performance. Okay, And I want to I press into this. It is not a test of performance. This is ultimately a test of the heart. Many times when we think about sin, we think about the things we do. We think about all the things that we did wrong. We fail to stop and evaluate the condition of the heart. It's the condition of the heart that often determines a lot of the things in our world that we would understand as being right or wrong. If my neighbor's house was on fire and I knew they were trapped inside, and so I ran to another neighbor and stole a tool in order to break through into the doorway to save their life, even though I took the tool without asking, would that have been sinful or wrong? you'd go, that's righteous. It would be right to do that. Why? Because the heart is right. It's not because I stole the tool because I, you know, I just want the tool. It's I would be considering the value and the needs of others. And so I'd be seeking their benefit to the best and willing to take the penalty upon myself, even if I came into that realm. Do you see how the heart condition determines much of what we understand is taub and what is raw, what is good and what is evil, right? It's, it's an issue of the heart. We are prone as human beings to evaluate the external performance. We want to evaluate all of the stats and the, the figures, right? We want the externals. We rarely stop to evaluate the heart because the heart isn't so measurable. We can't really put our finger on things in the heart, right? We can point out all of our failures and our sins. Oh, you didn't do this. You spelled that. You spelled tab wrong in the the notes, right? We could pick out all of our failures of performance, but you probably out there, you couldn't really know what's in my heart as I'm preaching this message today. Right? That's, that's a hard thing for you to fully measure. So, what do we often do is we often lean on the evaluation of our external things. We love to evaluate the externals because the internals are hard to measure. But here's what we know about God: God measures differently than we do. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel is, he's going to choose a new king from the sons of Jesse. Jesse's brought his sons before Samuel, and so he's bringing them one by one. And the oldest, the tallest, the strongest, probably the best looking of the crew, Samuel goes, surely this is the one. God says, "Nope, not the one. I've rejected him. And listen to what God tells Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 17, verse 3. It says, it says basically that the Lord tests the hearts, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. What are these? These are these are. Uh, symbolic descriptions of this process of testing, right? You test, you're going you're gonna to purify gold and silver. You have to take them through the furnace, through the heat. And it's the, the, the dross that rises to the top and you remove that so that you have pure silver or pure gold. And it says that God is the one who does that to the heart. God tests our hearts for what? For fruitfulness. He wants to know what's really there. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, God says this to Abraham. He was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me, key word here, faithfully. It's this idea of loyalty, obedience, faithfulness. It is connected to this idea of Pistis in the Greek in the New Testament, which is the word we use for faith. Faith and faithfully are the same idea. Many times we think faith is just like this cognitive belief system. But that's not what faith really means. It means that there's a loyalty and a faithfulness. When I stood on the stage, it was over there, when I uh, pledged my loyalty and my faithfulness to my wife, right? she's expecting me to live that out each and every day. To be faithful. This is the very thing that God is asking Abraham to do here. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless or be perfect, the word is. Without fault, be taub. Be the way, live the way, think the way, act the way that I intend for you to. And where does that come from? It comes from the condition of the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. And many times we look at that word, you know, be perfect. Well, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never... Perfection is an impossibility. But let me suggest to you, it is an impossibility if your idea of perfection is connected to your performance. It is a possibility if it is tied to the condition of your heart, what does God see when you offer him your heart? I want you to think about this for a moment. I've used this illustration before. Some of you guys may remember it. But if my if my daughters decide they wanted to really bless mom and dad, right? And they're they're young, they're they're growing cooks, but they want to make mom and dad breakfast in bed. So they wake up at five o'clock in the morning and they're, they're, you know, scrambling eggs and they're making toast and they're, they're trying to make coffees and they're doing all of this stuff. Why? Because they want to bless mom and dad. They want mom and dad to understand how important they are to them. They want to, they want to serve mom and dad and and just encourage them. And so they come tromping into our bedroom at, you know, 545 and two little trays and they're carrying them in, and the eggs are kind of burnt, a little overdone. The toast is a little dry, not enough butter, because you can never have enough butter on toast. Amen? Right? The, the coffee kind of spilt on the way. When they bring that in, do you think that I, as a dad, am going to spend a lot of time evaluating their performance? No. No. It has nothing to do with their performance in the moment. They gave their best because they wanted to bless and encourage and love me and love Tasha. I'm not going to criticize their performance. You know what I'm going to see? I'm going to see the nature of their heart. It may not be perfect in performance, but it is perfect in heart, right? Guys, I believe that every single one of us can be perfect in heart. We may, we may mess up, right? Trust me, God's going to be watching this message, and he could probably pick out a thousand different times where I said the wrong thing, you know, said um, or, you know, a word that I shouldn't, or got lost, or, you know, he could, he could, he could criticize all of the performance, but I pray that, because he doesn't look at that stuff, he looks at my heart, and I pray that when he sees my heart, he sees something that is perfect, that's Taub, it's the way it should be. And here's what I know, that if my heart is the way it should be, that it will bear the fruit of Taub in my life. It will bear the fruit of good and not evil. The reality is you and I have a decision to make, every single one of us. We have a decision to make. We're going to skip a big chunk. I'd encourage you to take a look at a few of those things. But I want you to just jump to the very bottom here because we've got to close. And I'll have the band come out. They can, they can be here for the last part of this, and then we'll go into our final song. But ultimately, there is a battle for your allegiance, for the, the loyalty of your heart. there's a test going on each and every day. There's a reason why Jesus said that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to what? Deny yourself. What does that mean? That means to align yourself with Yahweh, with Jesus. We have to align ourselves. We deny ourselves which means he's the master. He's the Lord. We surrender. That's the way God created it to be. That's Tao. That's right. Right? When we do our own thing, that's wrong. So we deny ourselves. We resist that. And we make him the Lord. We make him the king. And we take up our cross, what? Daily. There's an interesting correlation here. It was a tree that ultimately was our downfall. We found ourselves giving in to the nature of our selfish flesh in the moment, and it revealed the, the fruit of our selfishness. We didn't really love God. But then at the cross, we have another tree a tree bearing the fruit of the love of God and his faithfulness to us. And then we're invited to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily, every day, proving our love for God in the way we live, in the way we interact with one another bearing fruit in alignment with what? What's true in our heart, that God is our God, that he is above all things. So in Joshua, he's standing there leading with the people of Israel, and he basically makes this declaration in Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then today, choose for yourselves whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But here's what Joshua said He said, Today is a day of decision. As for me and my household, we are going to serve Yahweh, we are going to serve the Lord we are going to align ourselves with the fruit of good and reject the fruit of wickedness. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus talking to his disciples said, nobody can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. We don't get to ride the fence in this life of faith. We have to choose whom we're going to serve. So today I'd like just all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd like to just ask you, who do you serve? What is the fruit of your life, have you committed yourself to be loyal and faithful to God above all things? And if God were to test you today, what would be the fruit that would be revealed? The only thing we can do in this moment is to choose who we're gonna serve. We can't choose for next year. We can't choose for last year. We can choose for today. So I'm going to invite you to do something, all of us in this place. Whether you've been in church or a Christian for years or whether you this is your first time here at Harvest Springs and, and maybe you're, you're not a follower of God, I'd like you to consider who you will serve today. And if it's your heart to be faithful and loyal and to serve God, Jesus Christ in your life, to follow him, I want you just to slip up your hand. This is to God and say, God, I am following you. You are my God. This is for all of us. You are raising your hand to God. You are my God. I will follow you. Father, we are your people, we are your church. We lift you up and exalt you. As the creator, the God who loves and proved that love for us. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you in loyalty and faithfulness. We exalt you and declare you the king over our lives. And may your kingdom come in us and in our church, in our community, in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's Word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started Plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started Plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.